some reading by Horst Schulz. Yeah? Horst Schulz, he grew up in a little village uh, in Germany. And when he was 11 years old, he made up his mind that he wanted to be in the hotel industry. And that was not very much of an admirable job. His parents were kind of embarrassed about it. They were trying to feed him different lines of other things that he could do. And they still, and he to this day has no idea why he wanted to be in the hotel industry. They didn't even have a hotel in their little village. It made no sense. So at 11, he just fell in love with it. He had no idea why. Nobody else did. And then finally, at, I don't know, I think it's 14, where the German people sit down with their kiddos and they have to figure out what to do with education experience. They say, okay, Horst, what's going on here? He says, I still want to be in the hotel industry, yeah? So that's exactly how they talk. And so that's, they sat down and figured out a mentorship program for him to go over to a hotel and be a part of this internship. When he got there, the CEO or the manager kind of treated him like, now you remember one thing, is that we are serving respectable people, so you stay in line and you make sure that, you know, you gave him that whole speech. But it's interesting because the good Lord had a maitre d' there too. And the maitre d' had something about him. He's in his 70s at this point. And he knew not only how to treat customers, but he also knew how to bring out the best in his young workers. So some of the stories were really, really quite funny is one time when, um, so he started off his job in the hotel industry, first of all, of cleaning ashtrays. How exciting is that? That's his calling, cleaning ashtrays, that's it. So as he did that well, he slowly climbed up the ladder, thankfully, and uh, he started cleaning tables. So one time, it wasn't quite done, so the, the customers had left a little bit of wine. So he looks around and he takes a swig of some of the wine. Well, the maitre, he saw it, and the old man came out and actually kicked him in the butt. And said, what are you doing? You know, and just gave him the whole lecture. Another time, he was, uh, when he had gone up the ladder a bit more, he's carving meat. They have two meats today. And the customer says, I'll only have the veal. So, horse goes in the back, and he takes that extra piece of meat, and he shoves it in his back pocket. Well, guess who sees? The old man. So, all of a sudden, he goes charging after him with hot sauce, and he grabs his pocket and, and squeezes hot sauce on the meat so he can't eat it anymore. So, this whole thing is going on, and he's reminiscing of all this. But for some reason, there was an attraction between the um, maitre d' and him, and he was able to mentor him. And by the age, I think, of 16, when he actually had to write a paper to fulfill his, all of his assignments, Horst actually coined a phrase at the age of 16, I think it was, that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. See, it's interesting. He brought such a dynamic thought of how we approach people. So sometimes when you're just kind of cleaning the rooms or vacuuming or you're cleaning the, the toilets and stuff, you're just like, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. And we look down and we really have no dignity to our jobs. But here, Horst, throughout his whole career, and he's also one of the guys that was the past president of the Ritz-Carlton. So he obviously has gone really far up in the hotel industry world. And it's interesting because this whole time, whenever he starts off with showing new people the ropes in his industry, he talks, now remember, you are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So it's really interesting. Every time they meet for a staff meeting, he goes on to espouse on some of the values that they have. Every time. Every time. And even if I'm working away here in the hallway and a, a customer comes, if he's within 10 feet, I look up and I greet. Good morning, sir. And like, it's just really, really quite interesting how this was all brought about uh, for, for him and how he learned how to do it. 
But one of the things that blew my mind, and it actually kind of messed with the whole hotel industry, is at some point, he really believed in his workers. In fact, he says, you were not hired, you were selected. Because even for the most menial tasks in the hotel, there was usually 10 interviews or 10 resumes per one hire. Interesting. So he finally really wanted to practice what he preached, so he made this change. Now, listen to this. He actually empowered everybody within that Ritz-Carlton, whether you were a maid or whether you are the maitre d', whatever it might be. He empowered each person that was working for him. They had up to $2,000 to spend to make customers want to come back. Two grand. I don't even know what that looks like, you know? But two grand. So, for instance, one time somebody came down and they looked a bit tired. They're coming into the buffet lineup. And somebody just says, uh, you know, good morning, Mr. Schmidt. And uh, how are you? And he says, well, actually, I had a horrible sleep last night. My toilet just kept running and I just couldn't sleep. So, you know what? I am so sorry. We want to look after that. In fact, this morning's buffet is 100% free for your whole family. And he gets them lined up and then he goes and he phones services and he has it fixed before they get back up to the room. So it blows my mind, and I've never been in a Ritz-Carlton, probably never will be, but I was just thinking, how cool would that be if whatever we do for a living, you realize that you're a gentleman or a lady and serving other gentlemen and other ladies? Think about the dignity that you bring. Whatever you do, the dignity that you stand up tall and you respect others that you see, no matter if you're not necessarily a big fan of where they're from or if you're not a big fan of what they do for a living or if they're living on the streets, Big deal. They were created in the image of God. And the people said? It's a really big deal. So if we actually start treating with people with that dignity, but I think it actually starts with number one thing, is we realize the dignity that we have in Jesus Christ. My friends, I think it's kind of cool because what uh, Horst has done is really he's empowered his workers to be ambassadors. And they actually have authority and power to make somebody stay really worthwhile and want to come back to the Ritz. Well, how much more in our lives? What Christ has actually done for us and how we identify with him, so many things have happened in the heavenlies and so oftentimes we are still not feeling empowered. Or so oftentimes we still have our eyeballs just on ourselves. Some of us have been sitting here for years just wondering what the Lord wants from you. And it's just like, hold the bus. Have you really meditated on what he has done for you and what he has for you? And now your responsibility to be an ambassador. So you're an ambassador, not just here at church, but I don't care if you work at Savon, Safeway, I don't care if you're a plumber, whatever. You are an ambassador of the Most High King. So stand up, look people in the eye, and your faith actually really moves into even your line of work. You're not a plumber that happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian that happens to be a plumber. So that's a really big deal, how we view ourselves. Because guess what? God views you like that. God views you as an ambassador. But how do you view yourself? Father, this morning I ask that you take the word of God and really help it come alive. It's a beautiful portion of scripture. And I pray that just as uh, Horst got it with uh, the maitre d' and, and learning how to treat people and knowing his identity as a hotel guy, way more important for us is that we understand who we are in Christ. 
what you have done on the cross, Lord, and now what that empowers us to do, and the identity that we have in that, and the power, the dynamos that we have now to walk in the truth of who we are, full of grace and full of truth. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. There's no way I can pull all this apart, but we'll just look at some cool stuff within this. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. And this is actually part of this scripture, of, uh, I think it's 5 or 17, is where we came up with our uh, slogan or our mission here at church. Helping people reach their God-given potential in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, if you're new to us, one of the things that that actually entails is we're just helping or we're equipping. We can't do it. It's God-given. It's what he has done on the cross. So now you have a potential that if you're not yet a Christian, your potential is to become a Christian. If you're kind of a brand new Christian, your potential is to grow. If you've been sitting around here for a while, your potential is actually to start serving. If you've been serving and start, you start discipling others and get involved in leadership. And the whole cycle keeps going. We need disciples of Jesus Christ. And disciples are what? Disciples are people that are making disciples. Disciples are people that are making disciples. So that's a really important thing to remember when we jump into the word. Here we go. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 11. This is the New Living Translation. Because, bless you, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Now just pause there for a second. He is actually even trying to combat this whole thing because the Corinthian church was very interesting and very messy and they're coming out of a time where all sorts of fly-by-nighters are trying to persuade. Hey, buy this, buy that, or be a part of my religion and all that. So he's actually using a word and some people have been pointing the finger at him going, you're just trying to persuade. But here he's setting up his wording to say, actually, I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, that he is full of grace, full of truth. And now I persuade you from a position of knowing the truth. That's a really big deal here. He's not just trying to sell you something. He says, I know this to be true. I got knocked off my horse. I was going this way and Jesus met me in such a powerful way that I'm willing to die. For to me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. That's his words. So this guy is now trying to persuade. And I got to pause there for a second because some of us kind of, uh, Dave William gave me this uh, illustration one time. He says, some of us look at church as not people. We look at it as this building. And we're so scared of sharing our faith that what we do is we try and grab a, a, a tract and we stay in the four walls here. Attract is a, a way that's simply put so that we all know how to become a Christian. And we crumple up the track and we throw it over the church wall. Just hope that somebody will get it and become a Christian. But how many are honestly that? We, we don't really engage or we don't know our faith. We don't really know our savior. You don't really know your identity. Therefore, you're a powerless ambassador. Part of what Schultz was doing here is under, helping them understand the values of the hotel, understanding that they are valued, that they've been selected to work there, and now because of that, you are empowered to spend even 2000 bucks to keep customers happy here. How about us? What Christ has done on the cross has actually changed our standing before God. And not only that, we're sons and daughters of the Most High King. 
And now he's empowered us to be his ambassadors. So more of that when we continue on. But this is incredible stuff. God knows we are sincere, he says, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? Now, we're, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it is to bring glory to God. If we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us and it compels us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So, verse 16, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Got to stop there even for a second. Because guys were judging, people were judging Paul. Because he was this brand name guy for the law. And now he actually was of Christ. And they were looking and wondering, you're using these persuasive words and all this stuff. So they were judging him. And pretty much what Paul is saying is we have a new scorecard now. You don't just take the scorecard of the law or scorecard of your church. You actually get the scorecard of what does Jesus actually think of you? What has Jesus done on the cross? And it totally changes your whole perspective. And this is hard for me because I love, I'm like Michael from The Office. You ever watch The Office? If you haven't, I don't recommend it because it is a bad show. But nonetheless, I may have seen it. And, um, and within it, Michael just wants everybody to love him. Michael Scott would just, he just wants everyone to love him. Don't you want to be loved? Don't you want everybody to love you? Isn't this great that everybody likes me? Oh, it's the best. But the fact is not everybody's going to like you. Sorry. But here he's saying that now instead of having this pressure of even your poor uh, report card in your head or the report cards of everybody else, it's much more important that we actually compare ourselves to what Christ thinks of us and not what your mama thought of you or your dad or your neighbor or the person at work. But what does God want to say to you and what does he think about you? So again, what I said a few weeks ago, if you're actually just hearing negative stuff right now that, boy, you're lousy at that. Oh, I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. Do you think maybe that's the voice of God? No, thank you. At least one person <laughs> is confident here, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that he'll, there won't be times of admonition and correction and exhortation of you need to, you know, step up on all this stuff. But even throughout the way that Paul writes we see all the time that when he comes to even a brutal situation in a church he looks for ways to compliment them and then he says but i have this to say too even in revelation we see when he talks to the churches the holy spirit talks to the churches he talks about some of the cool stuff the commendations that he wants to give them but he says but i have this against you you gotta do this so it's the same thing and sometimes we think that Jesus or God is just simply uh, an assistant principal that loves to have kids in his office. Hardly wait to use his belt again. You know? What is our identity in Christ? At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How definitely we, sorry, how differently we know him now. 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. I love that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at that again. And all of this, your identity in Christ, what God thinks of you is a gift. A gift from God who brought us back to himself through Jesus Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. I'm going to say that again. And God has given... Yep. It's a big deal. Does that mean you got to be perfect? Nope. Yeah, I hope not. But the trajectory of your life is that you're growing and you have short accounts... And you want to grow. You don't just make excuses and be grumpy with people all the time or, you, or a poor advertisement of what Christ is. We are aiming to have victory in our life. And part of the reason is we want to be ambassadors of the Most High King and His power. It's a gift. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He says it again, just in case we didn't get it. So we, in verse 20, are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal, persuading people through us. We speak for Christ when we plead Come on back. Come back to God. See what God has for you. No, God loves you. He wants to forgive you. Come on back. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. And the NIV, the Interna New International Version, would actually say, not an offering for our sin, because it's kind of a tricky word there. He became sin in the NIV. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. You guys, are, what we want to do at church here is we want to equip you, what we said last week too, I'm not a priest and you guys now will just listen up. No, no, I'm just a guy that's been called to help lead and equip. Equip, equip, equip. You guys got to go back out there and be ambassadors, be empowered ambassadors for the Most High King. Isn't that cool? So whatever you do, you have this high calling and responsibility as an ambassador of the Most High King. Helping people reach their God-given potential in Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to see today is that we're reconciled. And reconciled is a really big deal. It's just not you wake up in the morning and you feel like being right with God, therefore you are. Big, big things happened in the heavenlies before we could even have this. Because if you know yourself, and if you're honest with the word of God, we also know that all of us have sinned and fall short. So I love to compare myself to other people that are worse than me, because you just go, I'm a good guy. I'm worth dying for. But remember, the report card of mine is no good. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we have to understand that God is fully love and he's fully holy. So you can't think that he's like an old grumpy grandpa that just goes, I feel like, you know, bringing people into judgment right now. No, he is fully love 
and he's fully human. So when he's exercising his love, that doesn't mean all of a sudden that his holiness is diminishing. Remember what we said about Jesus back in John. He is full of grace and full of truth. And so often what we're good at doing is, Adele needs some truth. I'm going to let her have it because she's offended me. And I just let her have it. I break the relationship, but she knows truth now. And then the flip side is sometimes we just mamsy-pamsy around, and then all of a sudden we become a church or a church building full of an assembly of people that don't offend anybody, and we don't call each other on anything. There's no accountability, but we are full of grace. Right? So it's important to know that God is holy. God is just. God is love. So be even in his presence is impossible if there was not a sacrifice made. It's impossible unless there's a sacrifice made. We were enemies of God. So now we're reconciled. And reconciliation simply means to restore, to restore a friendship or to restore to harmony. So it's kind of a cool thing because there's this lovely word, and you know I like to throw in words once in a while so you know I'm educated. Imputation, you know? Imputes. You like that? Write that down. Uh, he, God imputes our sin to Christ. So actually when I come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, my sin is, is put on Christ and Christ died for my sins. Or the NIV says he became sin. Whatever. It's, it's really important here. So my debt, all the things that I owed, and I owed a lot, it was grabbed off of my account and plunked on to Christ's account and I'm free. This is incredible. I don't know if some of you have ever been under the weight of a lot of debt. And then if you've ever had somebody say, I would like to pay off your debt. <gasps> it is glorious, right? I've owed lots of money when I was going to college. And I was scrounged and I worked construction. I had to work really hard. And I finally got some money. I went to the office to pay. And I, when I went there, the accountant says, you actually don't owe anything. Somebody came in and paid it. What? You know, it's totally cool. So that... My debt was here, but somebody's generosity was imputed, and now my debt was paid. I'm a free man. So that's what happens in the heavenlies. You are in debt if you don't know Jesus Christ. And guess what? I am in debt. So it's not like me and you. It's us. We're in debt. And what Christ has done when we come to him and we realize that he died on the cross for our sins, now uh, our sin is imputed to him, but even better than that, his righteousness is imputed to my account. That is crazy stuff. So now all of a sudden I can stand as a gentleman in the light of Christ. Remember last week we talked about the lamp of, of Christ and we can actually stand there, but we don't want to stay in the lamp too long because all of a sudden you'll see some of the warts and all the things that is all wrong with Steve. But when we come to Christ, we can trust that he's full of grace and full of truth. And now he looks at me and he has a proper view of who I am. He has the right view of me. And I can stand there, however painful it might be, and whatever he reveals, good, bad, and the ugly, I can stand there because I know he loves me. And he just wants his best for me and for you. Incredible stuff here. So in the book of Philemon, uh, we're running out of time, so i got to rip here. But in the book of Philemon, you see it. You see Philemon, uh, he had Onesimus, who was a slave, and he ran away, and I think he stole also from Philemon. And then all of a sudden, he stumbled across a guy named mm, Paul. And Paul kind of likes Jesus. 
So now Paul shares Jesus. He is an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And here is this guy that hates being a slave, obviously. And he hates it so much that he actually stole from Philemon. And now he stumbles across Paul. Paul is an ambassador. He's a gentleman and he treats uh, Onesimus like a gentleman. And he shares with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Onesimus gets saved. And he doesn't just, okay, now hide here. No, what he does, he actually phones up or texts. I don't know. He did something to communicate to Philemon that, hey, I've come across Onesimus. And, and he actually talks to him and, and talks about not only is, you know, he, was he serving you, but now he's worth much more because he's a brother in Christ. And I want you to know, Philemon, that if Onesimus has stolen and owes you anything, put it on my tab. That's Paul. So we have a beautiful word picture in that very itsy-bitsy book called Philemon where we see this happen. We see this happen is that Paul is an ambassador and then he also pays off the debt of Onesimus. Garland says this, God provided Jesus to stand in for the sinful humanity. Even though Jesus was sinless, God deals with him as though he were a sinner by letting him die on an accursed a cursed death. Did you get that? So God deals with Jesus as though he were a sinner by letting him die a horrible death. We do not simply have the righteousness from God. We are the righteousness of God as a result of being in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 and 6 verse 11. So we are given his righteousness only as we are in him and will be raised like him only if we live in him. So he died that I might die. He died that I might live. He lives that I might live. There's this mysterious, and I know I've had conversations with some of you, and it's me too. There's this mysterious mix in this gospel. There's this mysterious mix in our relationship with Christ of fear and awe. Because when we think of fear, we always think about running away like uh, something we just don't want to be a part of. But yet, throughout scripture, we talk about the fear of the Lord. So it's, it's a tough one sometimes to wrap your head around. But when you actually understand the power of God and that he cannot be in the presence of sin, it is scary. In fact, did you guys hear the thunder yesterday? Yeah. Oh, I like that. I, didn't, I don't remember my dad, but one of the things that they say that he said, he said when there was some cracking of thunder and huge thunder, or cracking of lightning and huge thunder, he would say, it just reminds me that God cares. So I said that to my kiddos yesterday. God cares. But you know what? To, for us to come without Jesus' imputed righteousness it would be a scary thing because we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. We have times in scripture, we know that people that had done things in the Old Testament, they actually fell down dead. We know of one guy that caught just an itsy-bitsy glimpse of God's glory, and he had this incredible sunburn for days on end. So we know that we as sinners cannot be in the presence of an almighty God. So there is this fear of like, whoa. But this fear is also comes with it, this awe. And whenever you see an angel in scripture come and do not be afraid, he says that because people are afraid. But it's pretty cool because the heavenlies meets the earth and the most, uh, the most popular statement is do not be afraid. And so they are afraid, but yet this powerful creature would say, 
and uh, do not be afraid and then give marching orders. And it's kind of the same. We have this relationship with God and we actually shouldn't be in his presence, but we can be in his presence because what Jesus has done. And now we can actually stand there because I'm actually an adopted son of God. I get to hang out with God because my sin went over to Christ and now his righteousness came over to me. This is incredible standing, you guys. We get to be in the presence of God. So there is this fear. I don't, I don't, God is not just the big guy in the sky. Like, we need to approach him realizing what used to be. And now, with this incredible awe of, thank you, I actually get to spend time with my father in his presence. And that's available to each and every one of us. And you know what? There's a ton of people out there that don't know that. And you are the ambassadors. We, me, I'm an ambassador. So the way I live my life, the way I parent, the way I go shopping, the way I act in traffic, whatever it might be, I want to be an ambassador. So even if I screw up, then you got to use that, uh, what's that tennis player? What, what did she say when she won? Sorry. <laughs> we got to learn to say sorry. We're Canadians. We know how to do that. The fear of the Lord compels Paul to share Jesus with others. I had a great conversation with one of you this, uh, this week. And when we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that Jesus can return anytime, or when we walk out of here, we can hit by a bus and we meet Jesus. When we realize that at any time we can meet Jesus face to face, that gives us a little bit of hurried up marching orders to realize, you know what, this compels me to share. This compels me to share. So... We are actually using persuasion, not in a cheap way, but we're actually sharing our story, even what Matt was saying, uh, our worship leader this morning, we actually get to share our story with others, and in that story, there's persuasion, because not because we get a notch on our belt, or because God likes us more, it's because we realize this treasure we have found, and we can't help but want to bring others into this relationship with Jesus Christ. We are compelled to share so not only are we reconciled, we're also new creations in Christ. And this is interesting because our identities, our stance, and our citizenship has changed. So I'm no longer just from New Bothell, Manitoba, or White Rock. I'm actually from the heavenlies. My citizenship, my birth certificate is in heaven. That's where I belong. And now Peter says, I'm kind of like a stranger. Some of you have no problem believing that. Strange or an alien here on earth. See here, I'm sent, and I'm an ambassador of the Most High King. So it's really neat stuff that he's given us this marching orders and the stance, and we are now new creations. In fact, even the wording that he uses, he, in verse 17, he uses uh, an aorist tense, which means there's a decisive break with the old light at the moment of salvation. When you realize what Christ has done on the cross, it's like, boom, you do not have to be a slave to your old garbage anymore. Commercial break, I have seen people drop everything and their lives have been changed overnight. You just go, unbelievable. They were addicted to that. They used to watch that stuff and they are changed overnight. And some folks, it doesn't go that quick. You know, and, and some folks you go, what? I thought they had Christ, you know. But you know what? We got to be patient with one another too and constantly being good ambassadors, treating each other as gentlemen and ladies, treating ladies and gentlemen, Right? So we help each other on the discipleship journey. 
helping people reach their God-given potential in Jesus Christ. But he uses this verb in verse 17 that there's a decisive break with the old life. So stop giving power to your old life. Stop throwing stakes to the old dog that's crying out, hey, I wouldn't mind seeing some of that, or I wouldn't mind being part of that, I wouldn't mind spending all my money in gambling, whatever it might be. You know what it was in your old life. And the more you throw stakes to that old life, you're constantly giving it life, but it seems here that it is dead. So stop resuscitating it. And throw the stakes to your new life. Making decisions faithfully, moment by moment, small decisions upon small decisions, bigger decisions, whatever it might be. But it's pretty cool. You make those decisions out of who you are now in Christ. You're a new creation. So he uses this aorist tense, that's broken off, and then he quickly jumps to the perfect tense and says that now that we are new creations. So he uses these kind of verbs on purpose. That's done, this is who you are now. Stand. Stand tall in who you are now. And the devil will want you to believe, oh yeah, good luck, especially when you mess up again. And he's going to want to rehearse and bring you back a couple videos of the good old days when you used to do a lot of bad, horrible things and you were separated from God and all that, and then you'll just be deflated you really got to go back to our identity in Christ not who you used to be because that will empower your today and tomorrow and some of you may have been fooling around you think you have all the time in the world so you constantly no one's looking and you throw a cookie or a steak to the old life you're always fooling around it's time to get serious. If you actually have given Christ your life, it's time to actually start working out your salvation, not working for it, but working it out by making decisions that belong to Christ. You're making decisions because you're a new creation. Move it along. So we're right with Christ. We have this reconciliation. We're new creations. And here, as you can probably tell, a lot of foreshadowing going on, is we are now ambassadors of the good news. So in the Roman times here, the Roman Empire had two kinds of provinces, senatorial and imperial. A senatorial had submitted and were now at peace with Rome, but the imperial were not still at peace, and it was necessary to send ambassadors to keep the peace. It's interesting, right? So just the uh, definition of an ambassador, the good old dictionary, it's an official envoy, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident rep, representative of his or her own government or sovereign or appointed for a special um, a, a, and often temporary diplomatic assignment, an authorized representative or messenger. So it's important that this ambassador is chosen by their country, sent to another country, and that ambassador, and we know this a lot with our, our relationship right now with China, right? So it's important that we choose an ambassador that is respected in Canada and send that person and trust that person to represent us well in China or wherever it might be. But both governments have got to at least look at this person and go, okay, I'm going to trust this person at some point. But this ambassador is empowered and represents the prime minister's office in a different country. So there is a power given. There is a trust given. 
This is being an ambassador. And part of that calling, even in our world here, is to hopefully keep the peace and represent Canada wherever that ambassador is. So here, we're ambassadors of the Most High King. We are in a hostile environment, and it's become more hostile. But as an ambassador, as a growing ambassador in my relationship with Christ, wherever I go, I will bump into hostility. And if you're like me, sometimes you're surprised. Why are we surprised when we bump into hostility? Why? I mean, remember what our executive director of, of uh, E. Freecher said. He thinks it's kind of great that Trinity lost their court case regarding uh, being able to put out lawyers. Because finally, we're waking up and going like, Canada is not a Christian nation. It's not a Christian nation. So now, pay attention and realize we're on the mission field. Canada is not a Christian nation. Does that surprise you? We live in a hostile environment. So now, part of that is, what does it mean to be an ambassador of the Most High King? So he was saying, Bill was saying, that now we have to actually pull up our bootstraps and realize, what does it mean to be a Christ one in this hostile world? What does it mean? The, um, the ambassador goes to this country, and he's got a good reputation in both countries, and he's also empowered to help make decisions on behalf of the sending country. I like how Garland puts it. Let me read just a little bit. He said, Reconciliation obliges us to come to terms with the alienation and our responsibility for it. We must recognize that we're at fault for a ruptured relationship with others and a ruptured relationship with God. That's my fault. And he goes on to say, the key phrase in the call to be reconciled is to God. Humans may attempt to reconcile with one another, but if they are not also reconciled to God, there will be no real reconciliation. Reconciliation obliges us to reorder our lives around God. Our changed orientation, when we no longer live to ourselves, will spill out over the other relationships that we have. But it starts by being reconciled to God. Thirdly, he goes on, he says that, this is a good one, reconciliation requires that we jettison all worldly criteria for evaluating others. We must look at others from God's vantage point. This is so hard for some of us. This is so hard when all sorts of ideologies and stuff are jammed down our throats. And sometimes, because of ideologies, we don't like certain people. And this is not right. So part of us being an ambassador is you bring the good news. You represent the good news. So if you're crabby or you're a jerk to other people or you actually push people away thinking, oh, that guy's heard the gospel and he's still on the streets. And you actually pass by him and you know that you're supposed to be talking to him. You know that you have this sense that the Holy Spirit's saying, talk to that guy. Well, what kind of ambassador is that? It's really a big deal. And finally, he says, those who are reconciled to God are always reconciling. Disciples make disciples make disciples make disciples. Those who are reconciled to God are reconciling. 
So it's interesting here because Paul isn't just talking about this stuff in a hoity-toity, nice white palace. He is actually in the thick of things. He is being judged for who he is. He has gotten saved by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And now he is an ambassador in a hostile environment. And he's saying, let's just not talk about it in these four walls. He says, get out there. And that's part of the problem why we call this place church. Because this isn't church, your church. So you come here to be equipped again and then the church goes out. And then this is just the building. So the church goes out. Your ambassadors, you bring the good news. So, you guys, because we're recon, uh, reconciled, because we are these ambassadors, we get to preach and live the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Wherever we go. Whatever you do for work, wherever you go for fun, wherever you shop, the Spirit of God has moved into that place, and you're an ambassador. You get to persuade people. So if you're saying like, "Eh, I don't really know my faith, and you're actually telling me that, and you've been a Christian for 30 years or whatever, then maybe it's time to sit down with a mentor and say, okay, how can you properly tell your story? Right? Because you're an ambassador. You're an empowered ambassador. So stop making excuses for yourself, right? And why am I having this kind of sermon now? Well, you know what, you guys? I'm hoping that in the next number of months, even when we go to two services, I'm hoping that we grow with people that don't go to church and people that used to go to church. I'm not interested in getting people from the Alliance Church and from the village and all that jazz, you know? But what I'm interested in, he would say the same, you know? So I'm not, I'm not let me back up since I got way too many laughs. I did not have laugh here, you know? But what, I, what I'm saying is sometimes we are uh, convicted and we, we are moved to different churches for different reasons. But sometimes when it's just like, ah, I don't like the music here anymore, or I don't like this and I don't like that, oh, it's the worst. Because it's just like, are you coming here just to snack on a buffet? No, you are coming here, you're equipped. If you don't like something, get involved. It's really important, right? So you are actually ministers of the gospel, and I said, if you all of a sudden don't like something and you're gone, and I, I don't even know you're gone. I go, whatever happened to, you know, it's just like, I am not an attendance keeper. I'm not going to go check. He was here, check. I want to care for you. I want to love on you. But guess what? You need to care and love on each other. That is not my job to be just the priest here, remember? You are the priest. So this is really, really important once again. So we get to go out and represent Christ. We get to go out and wherever we are and now in September people will be coming back and I, like I said, I'd like to grow with people that don't know Jesus and people that used to go to church and they have been hurt or they've been disappointed or whatever and we get to be fresh wind and fresh fire for these folks, I'm hoping. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're honest. It means you're trustworthy. It means you're growing. How's that sound? So you get to be an ambassador you got small groups, and we're going to be rolling out small groups within the next kind of you know, month or two. We're really trying to equip leaders with this. We're going to have men's ministry. we got women's ministry. we got opportunities to serve downstairs. we got, I think Andrew even needs some help flipping burgers next Sunday. I'm not sure. But there's all sorts of neat opportunities to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Are you representing? Are you an ambassador? 
New identity. Reconciled. And you've been empowered as an ambassador. And that is available to every human being when they are in Christ. Father, I thank you this morning for your powerful word. And I ask that you'd help us, help each one of us to reach our God-given potential in Jesus Christ. I mean to think that I'm a new creation and I admit that I often throw a bone or throw a stake to the old life and uh, then it's really easy for the devil to point fingers at me and I feel sloppy for a week. But Lord, I pray that this morning you'd help us to realize who we are in Christ, the powerful relationship that we can stand in the presence of the Most High King because of Jesus and that now we actually get to represent with power and authority We, as gentlemen and ladies, get to serve gentlemen and ladies with this buffet of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as an adage this morning, I pray that if somebody doesn't know their gift yet or is still asking me every Sunday how to get involved, I pray that that'll stop from just asking that question over and over and over in a bad rut. But that, Lord, that you would empower those folks this morning to realize who they are in Christ, to actually pursue their giftings, and now, Lord, to represent you as an ambassador. For next week, Lord, we ask that you'd empower us to realize who we need to be inviting. Uh, We ask that you'd even give the board uh, wisdom as to figure out how to navigate two services and when and all that. And I pray that none of us all of a sudden just go, I don't like the times or I don't like this or that. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to realize this is not about me. This is about us being ambassadors for the Most High King and how can we serve our community. Lord, this is important stuff and I thank you for your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.